Hello, everyone, and welcome into Debate Night yet again, the week of the first major of the year, the first pro major of the year. College disc golf did go down. That's the first major of the year. But first major of the year officially is here. College disc golf. That's the first major of the year. Nationals. For who? For college players. <laughs> what? No, That's the, not a major? Well, I mean, it's, a, it's an amateur major, so it's not really a major. Well, it's like AM Worlds. What? AM Worlds are USAMs. They're AM majors. But it's not <laughs> really. Those are majors. No, the first Those major of the majors. year. First major of the year Those is this weekend. Majors. It's just whenever you say first major of the year, college disc golf player will always be like, oh, well, we, we just had our major. And I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. So I, I just always throw that in there. It's fun. Anyways. That's- First okay. major of the year is this weekend, Champions Cup. Uh, I got to ask this question because obviously we've talked about the course last week some. I'll get your take on the course again. But now that you're, we're two days out from the first major of the year, um, do it, what's the feeling on the ground? Does it feel like you're about to play a major? Like by the stuff going on at the course, stuff being set up, like what? what's the feeling? Like does it feel like you're – walking into a course that you're like, yeah, there's a major here in two days. Um, there was someone taking our photos on the hold one. Boom. Major. Like, is there, is there like signs up and like, you like feel like you're on yeah, the grounds? I mean, there's signs up at every turn we play. Yeah. 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 I'm just saying like, is there anything you notice that sets it apart? If you, no. Okay. <laughs> I was just curious. I was just curious. I was, trying, I was trying to think, like, if you blindfolded someone and brought it, that was a weird analogy. But if you took someone, if you took someone to, if you took someone to uh, Texas State and they had no idea about disc golf and you took someone to this tournament and they had no idea about disc golf, outside of the actual course being incredible, I don't. Yeah, but also like what? That's a good question. What what needs to be done to make it feel like a major? No idea. No idea. I mean, like because for me, I think a big part of what makes USDGC feel like a major is the course, the atmosphere. I think walk in and history worlds. I think what makes that feel like a major as a spectator was always like every manufacturer was represented. So like you show up and there's prodigy tents there's the discraft tent there's the end of a tent there's the whatever oh, tent this, like everyone's you know everyone's this, there you know this layout it's there's no space no yeah because you have to take up all the parking to, to do something like that or the warm-up yeah, there's area no, there's there's no, there's no space so like yeah. there's nothing there's outside of they put up some fencing for um what looks like you know it's going to be blocked off for those like those practice baskets on the other side of the yeah. building yeah yeah, yeah. Outside of that, like, there's no space to put anything. So it's not like, yeah. Now I think about it. Is that is it? Made should a major feel like you're going to an event, and then eventually everything catches up? Because like, what? Well, in the in the past, uh, a major felt like what a pro tour feels like now like a a normal like national tour type event like there is hype around it because of the um because of like the quality of the event you know what i mean and like the quality Mm -hmm. of the field but when you're on the ground it was like flags and stuff like that and more marking but that's just like a standard tour event now 
Like that was like the next step up was there was more flags, more signage, more of all of that. Now with the pro mm-hmm. tour, they've done such a good job that like your average everyday event feels like that. But I didn't know if there was like anything extra like special you noticed that, that set it apart. Cause I'm not on the grounds there. I saw where on Twitter, I saw where they had like the, I don't know what they were, all the winners of, I don't know if it's previous majors or players that have won at the course, like lining. No, uh, I think, you no, someone, yeah, someone was, expl- I think, uh, someone explained that to me today. Uh, it's, it's winners of something, but cause like Paige Pierce is on there a bunch of times. So is it like winners and of worlds then, or like all majors maybe? No, no, no. Cause then Micah Graw is on there. Well, he won an am so major. He won, he won. Is it majors? It might just be winners of all majors. Let me welcomes in winners. Oh yeah. It doesn't, I mean the video, you can't, you can't see anything. It's winners of all majors. Maybe. I don't know. I can't see anything. on The tweet just says champions drive welcomes players to IDGC for the inaugural champions cup presented by Bushnell. But, but going back to what, going back to what you said about like what makes, I thought about it a little bit because I've been to regular PGA tour events and I've been to majors. I haven't in tennis. I've only been to like normal events. So I haven't been to, um Wimbledon or any of the you know Australian Open or anything of the big majors in tennis but I have been to the Open in golf and obviously the branding is all over the place right so you see the Open the Open the Open all over the place um there definitely is more infrastructure infrastructure mm-hmm. uh that is brought in for sure but outside of that I don't think there's really that much difference between that and a normal PGA uh, PGA Tour uh, event. So I think a lot of it is just built into, like you were talking about the course. Like when you go to any major in golf, you know that they are putting in work to make it more difficult than a normal PGA Tour event. And also you just have all the history and the importance and all that is already kind of built up. The purses are always way higher. Um, so all that stuff, my, my camera is doing that weird thing again. And it's so frustrating. Why is it not focusing just – is it this? Do I need to add in more light? <laughs> Hold on. Let me, see, let me see if I add in more light. If that, Tess, tell me if this works. If I add in more light. Oh, gosh. I don't even know think, what what is what is happening right now. I think I just broke the blinds. <laughs> my gosh. Oh my gosh. Our this audio listeners is, are probably just fascinated right now. How's the Airbnb? Yeah, is this is this like uh you're paying three hundred dollars for a fifty dollar Airbnb or what's going on right now? This place is phenomenal. My goodness. This place is incredible. They have incredibly fast internet. Okay. So that's a plus. As lags. <laughs> you're look you're fine you're fine you're back now you're back now it's just as you were saying that you lagged it was perfect timing that's on your end i haven't lagged once over here okay that's on your internet yeah my internet's phenomenal okay cool um, uh great internet they have a huge front yard and backyard so we've been like getting a lot of like touchy up shots practice putting practice Tons of space inside. So, yeah, the Airbnb is the place to be. 
and potentially could be game changer moving forward. I'm going to see if this could be the play moving forward. Oh, it's just way going to Airbnb instead of hotels? It's way better. I mean, that's, that's definitely the way play. Better. A lot of times, especially if you can, like, I know Ezra has an RV and stuff, but, like, if you have two or three people you're splitting an Airbnb with, a lot of times it's, like, the Not same price. Bad. It's, like, the same price as the hotel, and it's so much nicer because you actually feel like you can come home to something. You have a kitchen. Yeah. You have a kitchen. You have a, like, you have a, living room uh, you can just lounge laundry. in. Yeah. It's, that's room. the way to go. Yeah. It's much, much better than, than a hotel when you're traveling with a bunch of people. But... 100% agree. All right, so now you have a week more practice under your belt at WR Jackson. What are you feeling like now as you, you head into this major? How, how's the course? How's the game feeling? Have I been here for a week? Yeah, yeah, because last, no. yeah, last week you were in the cheap hotel, and you were talking about how you're about to move to Airbnb. Oh, my gosh, I was. Yeah, you've been there a week. Wow, Okay. It's it's flown by. I can tell you that much. Like I said, this is one of the few courses that I've played on tour where I'm excited every day to like go. I mean, obviously, I'm excited to go play other courses as well. But I feel like this is the this course I am overly excited every day to get the opportunity to go out and play it. So if you definitely are in the area and you haven't gone out out and played, they apparently have two also really incredible courses. Yeah, we played like two, one or two holes Steady on Steady Ed and. But, uh, um, Steady Ed and Warner are those the other two? Steady Ed's one of the two. Steady Ed is definitely one of them. I don't yeah. know what the other one. Steady called. Ed's the more fun. The other one is uh, um is uh easier easier course, but they're yeah. they're good times. But the course is incredible. Uh, there's a couple holes. I think there's two holes that I need to try to get a little more dialed on the tee shot tomorrow. Um, other than that, everything, everything is pretty straightforward. Like I just have to execute shots. I know this is a course too, that you're not going to, you're not going to throw 18 great tee shots. Yeah. It's impossible. Literally impossible. And I've played tons of practice rounds with Ezra, uh, Jonathan Nicholson. I've played with Tristan Tanner, a bunch of practice rounds. And then we just did that doubles battle between Adam and Ben and then, spoiler, have a video with Calvin coming out tomorrow. Nice. So I've played, I've played with a good range of people, and you're going to hit trees, and you're going to end up in weird spots. It's, going, it's more about can you salvage and can you just try to get par yeah. on those holes that you hit trees and, and get off the fairway. So, like, today was, today was a good round of – I was two over through five, which is not a great start by any means. And I battled back to finish six under. So I, I, I finished the front nine with two birdies and then shot six under on the back. So it's a course where it could be the exact opposite. You can, you can start eight under and then just kind of try to, you know, stop the bleeding if you make a couple of mistakes down the, down the way. So you, you can go out and shoot eight under. You can go out and shoot 10 under, 12. Can someone shoot 12 this week? I think so, but that would be an impressive score. I don't know if anyone shoots better than 12 out there, but you could you could literally the next day, your timing's little, things aren't going well. It's not hard to shoot even par out there. So it, it's a challenging course. There are a lot of backhand turnovers. So I think if you're watching live, I think you'll see kind of, 
the backhand dominant players go to that. Playing with Adam, who has an incredible forehand, he definitely threw a couple forehands on some of the holes that I thought were backhand turnovers. So I, I think it's going to definitely favor people that have that shot in their bag. It's going to be really interesting to see how lefties do out here. Just because I don't know some of the shot shapes, it just doesn't seem like a lefty hyzer backhand is what you want. Unless you have like a nasty like hyzer flip up yeah. pushing shot, which I feel like is not as comfortable for most people as like a turnover backhand. Mm-hmm. So, so we'll see. But yeah, I'm feeling good. I got one more practice round tomorrow. Get that in. I'll probably after we get off here, I'll probably do a little more practice putting, get the putt feeling good. And uh, yeah, we'll see. Four rounds, a lot of rounds. So like anything can really happen. Yeah, a lot of rounds in that course. Courses like this are the most golf style courses, if that makes sense, where it's it's more of a mental challenge whenever I think about it than your typical course. Because like you were saying, you're not going to get through a round unscathed. Or you might get through one, but you're not getting through a tournament unscathed. Like something's going to go wrong out there. There's going to be a bad shot, a bad upshot, uh, or bad drive, whatever it may be. And you're going to have to like mentally re- readjust and refocus, get up and down, and move on. Uh, and there's some courses on tour which just aren't, aren't like that. It's like if, you, if you're off the fairway, you're losing strokes to the field. Whereas this course, if you get off the fairway, I mean, everyone's going to be off the fairway at some point. I, I feel like this conversation with like courses is going to be nullified in the future because courses are going to continue to develop and eventually you're just going to have a bunch of really good courses on yeah, tour. No, absolutely. And obviously, obviously you'll talk about some holes, right? Like I think the cor- the holes out here that I would say, like if you're, if you're going to see like the biggest moving holes, like hole 17, um, hole 18 is eagleable with a good drive. Yeah. Um, hole five is another big one, like circle hole five. That's, that's going to be, you're going to see twos, threes, fours, five, sixes on that hole. So there are some holes that we can talk about, but I do think a lot of times we, we have that discussion of like, if this course is, is good or not. Yeah. And I think eventually we're not going to have that discussion because we still have courses that we play where a lot of the par fours are so drive dependent where it's like, if you throw a good drive, you're going to birdie the whole 90% of the time where this course, there are maybe a couple holes, couple par fours and, um, maybe probably all three par fives are like that, where if you throw a good drive, you should birdie it. But for the majority of the, the par fours, it requires two really good shots to Mm -hmm. birdie. Yeah. So I, I love that. I love the fact of where you're challenging. You're, you, 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 no one can really just throw like, you know, it's a 650 yard, uh, foot par four. No one's really able to throw a 600 foot shot and have a jump putt and then tap in birdie. Yeah. Like it's requ- a, a good shot is landing at 400 feet. And then you have a very technical having to hit gap, having to, you know, S shape your shot through some trees from 250 feet to get into circle. So I like it a lot. Some of these greens are pretty tricky out here too. I think people that have never seen the course before are going to love it. It might be a little difficult sometimes to, to gauge exactly how difficult some of the gaps we are hitting out here with the camera angles, 
but we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully the live coverage looks good. Just saw the drone operator out there today. He was getting the drone shots done. And, uh, yeah, I think they're getting ready for the event. I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be fun. I think, too, you're going to see with the, how the course shapes up with 16, 17, and 18, those last three holes, goes par three, par four, par five. I, I see, like, it, it coming down to those last three holes, and I, I feel like there's going to be two or three people in it. Yeah, and whole. I, I don't think it's gonna be a runaway. Yeah, I agree. It's hard. To, it's hard to across four rounds of a course like that have someone run away, which I think is what makes it such a good major course. And hole eighteen is such a good finishing hole because uh, you, y'all might have seen uh, on Gannon Bird's Instagram he posted where he eagled it. But to eagle it, you have to have a great drive that gets to the top of the hill to even have an angle for the second shot, and then the second shot is still not easy to do to get the eagle but if your drives out of position a five is very much in play a six is a possibility so like even if if someone goes into the final hole and they're down two strokes it's far from over because if the leader doesn't get off the tee well and the guy in second does you know you could be looking right at a playoff there uh and, and it's several spots like that on the course where if you just lose focus for a second with the lead two strokes can be gone in a hole easily i think that's the sign of a, of a good course a lot of times is it requires an amount of focus in to where if you're down two with three to play it's like you don't have a lead at all versus some courses you're down two to three with three to play and it's over you can just go ahead and hand the trophy off to the guy so i'm i'm very very excited for this weekend we're actually gonna be doing a companion stream on sunday for the final round of mpo should start around 230 240 range uh right when oh, the nice. lead card tees off uh, we might get a feature from Bob Stob, Trevor's dad. Uh, he might be in the live stream. He's gonna be in town, so that would be electric. You can you can dis- you can find out why Trevor is the way he is and his humor uh, is the way it is. It's very funny, but um, he might get him and his brother in here. Silas might be in there. I don't know yet. And then Trevor and I will obviously be here. And we have it's over there. I don't have it, but we have a Champions Cup that our bets are going to be going towards. So like the actual. An actual cup. We went to Walmart and we got a nice, ther- like a what you would call it. Um, Were you what? about to say thermos? It's not thermos, but like the like it keeps stuff cold for a long time, keeps stuff hot for a long time. That's a thermos. That's a. But thermos. it's not a. It's not a. Th- it's like a hydro flask. What is it? Double walled, vacuum sealed thing. Yeah, yeah. Bring that over here, Silas. We still have to decorate it. We have to decorate it. This is the Champions Cup. The the winner of the live stream will be walking home with this thing. It's going to say Champions Cup on it. Don't worry. Um, like, for Worlds, we had the sick chair that we were all going for. This will have this. We'll have side bets going on the entire time. Uh, Trevor setting all those up. Over-unders on what people are going to take on holes. How many times they're going to say the wrong disc names. Uh, all kinds of fun oh, stuff. Heck yeah. So, you're definitely going to want to tune into that. And then, if a moment like the James Comrade throw-in happens, you know, you'll get our reactions live. So, people really enjoyed it for Worlds. And I think you'll really enjoy it for the Champions Cup. So it'll be, that'll be going down on Sunday and then obviously coverage all throughout the week as well. So uh, I had a topic I wanted to bring up, but you said that you had something about doubles partners. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I was thinking about this when I was in the shower today because... Shower thoughts are so the best. And, they are the best. So <laughs> me, and Ezra, me and Ezra obviously have started this new series where we're taking on all comers yeah. in doubles. Yeah. Right. And spoiler, if you haven't seen the Ben and Adam video, go check it out. Um, 
but we're one and out. We're one and out. When are you gonna take forward. on the the undefeated Bogey Bros? That's the real question. Well, I was thinking too, like what course is that gonna be at? You pick wherever. You want to do it at Winthrop? I mean, we could without the ropes up. Winthrop's an easy course, though. It's a lot different. Well, no, it'd be it'd be for USDGC week. Oh, we're waiting that long. Well, what what other tournament are you guys gonna be at? I don't know. I mean, we can make it happen whenever. All right, show up to a tournament. We'll do it. All right. Um, so I was thinking though, when it comes to doubles partner and Silas, I want your intake on this too. Heck yeah. Would Would you rather have someone that has a very similar game to you or would you rather have someone that has a complete opposite game to you so for example you're a backhand dominant thrower and you like to release everything on hyzer would you rather have another person that's a backhand dominant thrower that releases on hyzer or would you rather have like someone that predominantly throws forehand or potentially like a left-handed player I mean, my opinion is the opposite. And mainly because in college, this is exactly the decision we had to make. Me and Ryan, who was my doubles partner, were at the time the two best players on the team. Um, But we were the best doubles pairing because our games were the exact opposite of each other. Pretty much if you took me and turned me into a lefty, that was Ryan. And so when we got up to a hole, there was never a drive that one of us didn't feel like we could do and it worked out very well uh and that's kind of how most of it like trevor and pete trevor had a really good backhand game pete had a really good forehand game and it worked out well for us overall so i i like the opposite just because it, i think it gives you a lot of confidence because obviously everyone plays uh singles so like everyone knows how to like you know attack a hole that they're not comfortable with or brody just disappeared uh, everyone knows how to attack a hole they're not comfortable with or whatever it may be. Um, Brody's back. I don't know what's what going on. What the heck is going on? What happened to that good over internet? here? How's that internet treating you? But uh, the opposite. I like the opposite. Is it the room you said, you said opposite. I like opposite, yeah. Silas, what do you say? Okay. Silas, what do you say? All right, so I'm going, I'm going opposite as well. Because I feel like that's how you balance you balance each other out when yeah. you're when you're opposite. You balance each other out. So, you know, me and Brody have uh have been doubles partners before and uh, you know, it's a good time. I feel like we Do y'all have opposite games? I no. guess somewhat because you throw all forehands essentially, forehands and overhands. Yeah. Yeah, you know. But no. I got decent <laughs> overhand. I got decent overhand. Oh, you never really pull it out though. Yeah. No, no. There's not <laughs> many shots that require it. I mean, in Silas's game, there's a lot of shots that require an overhand. He sees he sees a lot of overhands out there. So this is my thought process. I think it changes based off of skill level. Well, yeah. So I was assuming you're both at the same skill level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're both at the skill level, oh, okay, like okay, as okay. like MA two versus MA one versus MPO, whatever. I think it, so. As you get better and better and better. I think you want someone that has the same game as you because essentially from that side, you literally have two chances to execute the shot. And the chances of you executing the shot probably are going to be pretty decent because especially if you see the first person go before you and they might have missed something a little wrong, 
it's really it's a lot easier for you to correct your shot. One way to think about it is when you're playing with people that are better than you or people like that are kind of your same skill level, it's it's sometimes beneficial to throw second, third, fourth because if you see someone throw the perfect shot, you can basically just be like, "All right, I'm just going to try to throw that same angle, that same line and replicate it." Versus if you go out and play you know, on a turn in a tournament with a bunch of people way worse than you and you're throwing last, you're not really gaining anything from seeing what they're doing. So I feel like if you had, and it's the same kind of concept of like, it's a little different obviously, but if you went out and had two throws every single time, I feel like you're probably not going to mess that up as much. But there's going to be, be there's some holes though that you just can't get, but like, someone with the opposite game as you That's could true. get. That's true. Where it's like, man, if only I had this 450-foot forehand. Yeah, no, you're you're right. There's certain situ- I would say there's certain situations that you might not be able to get. I wouldn't say, like, every tee shot, you're gonna, every hole is birdieable from the tee. But I think what you're saying is if, you, if your best shot is in a weird spot, and it's like, man, we really could use, like, a lefty forehand right here or a lefty backhand, or a right, whatever it is, and you don't have that on your team, then yeah, you might be on the struggle bus. But Yeah, because that's what we ran into was there were, especially at like nationals and stuff, there were some like par fours, for instance, that were 450, 500 feet, but they weren't drivable by righty backhand. They were drivable righty forehand or a lefty backhand. Mm. And so by having Ryan, we were able to have a, a shot at the green, and then I was able to play the the layup shot for the birdie. So I threw my safe shot first, got us in play, and then he'd go for the green. Versus if we had two of me, neither of us could get to the green no matter what we tried because we didn't have I didn't have a five hundred okay. flex forehand. Think about it this way. Okay, another another uh, another scenario. You have you have someone that's really good at driving, really bad at putting. And then you have – so you have one team that's really good at driving, really bad at putting, really good at driving, really bad at putting. And then you have another team – you have another – the heck is going on outside? Oh. Then you have another team that is uh, really bad at driving, really bad at putting – or really good at driving, really bad at putting, really bad at driving, really good at putting. Yeah. Which, which team would you rather be on? I'd rather have the really good at driving, really good at putting – Split. So you'd rather have split than two good drivings, two bad puttings. Yeah, because I think that, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're playing at a level where both people in the doubles pairing suck, it doesn't matter who has what skill. You're gonna like you're gonna suck. Yeah, yeah. This but, is more towards like the like if you you know you're good. You're, yeah. So then, like the guy that's good at driving is gonna have a chance at every shot, and like where he might be. If he's a really good driving player, he's probably struggling because he can get the disc inside 40, 50 feet and just can't convert. But now he has a really good putter who that really good putter is probably struggling because they can't get the disc in 50, 50, 40 feet. But when they do, they can convert. You put them together, you have a great golfer that could do everything. Yeah. I don't know. So, so, far, so far, when it comes to double ideology, you and I are 0 for 2 on how we think about doubles. It's it's interesting me because me and Ezra have very similar games. Like we're you know very few times we walk up to a hole and I'm like this is a forehand. He's like this is a backhand. 
So we have very similar games in like execution, obviously different skill sets. Um, but it'll be interesting to see kind of how we progress playing against other doubles players to see like, okay, like the scenario I just gave someone that's known for driving really well. And, and someone else that's known for putting really well, see how they mesh. Um, did you have, did you have, I haven't watched the video yet, but did you have any situations where you decided to lay up first instead of running it first? Cause that was, that was the first thing we really disagreed on was you got like a, got a putt. So you scuba for the layup slash run a little 50, 50 bid first. Um, I don't think we had, I don't think we got into that situation. Have you talked so through what, with Ezra? Does Ezra think the same way as you? You lay up first. I think, I think I want, I want to wait for that to organically happen. Okay. To get the reaction to see what we end up doing. Okay. I'm curious. I'm curious to see, see what happens. Silas, what, what camp are you on? So that hasn't happened yet. Well, yeah. they only played one. They've well, only played, played one. Two. They played two. We only played 18 holes. Yeah. They only played 18 what? holes. Oh, they I haven't done their you... second battle yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. What, what's my opinion? Yeah. On... yeah. So you, it's you and your doubles partner. Yeah. You have a somewhat precarious putt that you can run. Okay. Do you have, but it should be a relatively routine layup. Do you have op player A, first player up, run it or lay up first? Um, is, is player one good at putting or not? D they're both the same. Let's they're just say they're both the same. same. Well, then if they're both the same, it doesn't matter. No, it matters. Because okay. basically, do you want? Would you rather have two chances gonna, at a run or two chances at a layup? Well, I'll, I would say the first person I would want to um, run it. The second person to lay up because yeah. So if the first, first one doesn't stay close, exactly. Then so the then the second if, person you just safe, you know, exactly up there. Exactly, Silas. That, that's my thought. Because then the, if the first guy runs it, would hits say, cage, and it drops close, yeah. the second guy gets a sec another run. Yeah, I will. I will give you that. I will give you that. Oh, you're switching it now. Than, well, no, no. I'll, I will give you I will give you the fact that in golf, um, that doesn't really exist of where it's like, oh, if you run it and it somehow stays next to the hole, great, I can try to run it too. Like that doesn't really happen. But in disc golf, that, that can't happen of where you run it, it hits the band, drops straight down. You run it, it hits the cage, drops straight down. It's like, all right, well, I tried to make it. I didn't. But now we have an easy tap in. So now we have two chances of doing it. Yeah. So I will, I will concede to that. I will not concede to the fact of like, if you're throwing your second shot to a par five, I will not concede to the fact of the first person goes for it. No, the first and, person always lays up in that scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. it's just All when right. you're, it's just when we're talking about putts. Just putts. Because you got to get one. In, you got to make sure one's in play when you're in the middle of the fairway, and then you get aggressive. It does just get a little dicey on certain greens where when the layup is super easy and you're like, there's no way you can mess up. Fine. Makes sense. But it's when like you still have to kind of execute the layup. That's where it's like, I would like to execute the layup first and then run it. Yeah. Because if somehow the, the layup gets messed up because there's, you know, you do have to throw it through. Like think about this. You have a 60 foot putt and you have to throw it through a gap at 30 feet. That's like three feet wide. Yeah. Right? Like, I would want the first person to try to just lay up, get through the gap and lay up, and then the next guy can run it because if he's focusing on trying to make it and he misses it for some reason, now the next person, all the pressure in the world is on him to execute that layup. That, that's where I think it changes is when there's like 
the execution of the layup is not a hundred percent certain. Yeah, I would it rather depends. have it depends on the situation. I, I would rather have that back pocket of if for some reason the guy doesn't execute the layup, we still have someone else that could potentially do it. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I had this topic that I thought might be interesting, um, mainly because so where this comes from is recently we've had several like brand new manufacturers that are just getting their first discs approved and stuff like that send us the disc trying to get us to carry it or wanting us to do a review on it or just wanting us our opinion on it, whatever it may be. So we've had several of these recently. And Trevor and I have always been, whenever we've been getting them in, we're like, I wonder why they chose to make this type of disc. Like, I wonder why they chose a mid-range, an overstable mid first. Or I wonder why they chose a putter first. So I've got a question. And we'll word it this way so that it makes it easy for you to answer, Brody, um, with like your mainly Discraft knowledge. We'll say that Discraft is coming into today's market. So the disc mm-hmm. golf scene is exactly where it is today, but Discraft doesn't exist yet. Discraft's coming in, and they've signed you as their main player, and they want your opinion on what is the first disc from their current lineup, what's the first disc they release to try to make sure that they get get their name out there and, and generate some hype. What's the like first disc that you think a lot of people are, are going to get hyped over if they're a brand new manufacturer right now coming onto the scene? I mean, I think the easy answer is the zone. Yeah, because there, because a lot of discs have you know twins or discs that are similar enough in other lineups, but that's the one disc that I hear the most about. There just isn't something like the zone, so I think that would be the biggest splash because everything else. I think it would be easy for someone to at least be like, "Well, there's this or there's this," where the zone kind of stands on by itself yeah no i was on, i was on the same wavelength i was thinking zone or captain's raptor mainly because people absolutely like everyone loves overstable stuff and then mm-hmm. you're just going to capture people by what it feels like so you're gonna there's gonna be some people that just don't like what a zone feels like there's gonna be some people that just don't like what a captain raptor feels like but there's gonna be some people that feel it and are like there's nothing like this on the market whereas if you come out with a buzz for instance the buzz is probably still. I'd be surprised if the buzz wasn't still the top seller at Discraft because it's you know widely known as the greatest mid of all time. But if you come out with the buzz right now, there is already straight mids, and so I wonder like if you came out with a disc like that or you came out with the uh, Vulture right now, where there's like there is already ones like it. Then basically all you have is if people like the feel of your plastic. But if you come mm-hmm. out with a disc like the Zone or the Captain's Raptor. While they might not be the most popular discs the disc in Discraft's lineup, the zone's got to be up there. I think that captures people's attention. But I was just, I've just been curious because when people, when like companies have been sending us stuff, a lot of people's first choice is like a neutral flying mid or a neutral flying putter or a neutral flying whatever it may be. And I'm just like, there's so many out there that like basically all you have to capture me is your plastic right now versus you go with like an overstable disc. With I would say price deal. too. Yeah, plastic and price. price. Plastic and price. Yeah. If you're, if you're able to make a product that's, uh, you know, if you're able to make a disc that flies roughly the same, durability, roughly, you know, if all those things are roughly the same, but you're able to cut the price down a little bit. Yeah. Especially uh, with, I with the price going that, up right now. Yeah, I can see how that could attract some people. But yeah, no, I think you're right. I think, I think having the most unique disc, I think would, uh, would probably 
pique people's interest the most. Yeah. All right. Uh, Silas, I've seen you taking some notes over there. I don't fully know what it is, but you've been, you've been typing. You're doing some math, is math that, equation. Is that, is that getting some chat topics up or what's going on? I mean, there's there's a few topics. Okay, let's let's hear them. Let's just jump to that real quick. Okay, first off, we have Jonathan Adams with the uh, ten dollars super chat. Appreciate he says, it. Heck yeah. Which variable is the most impactful to an event feeling like a major? One, the course design. Two, the course's look. Three, the payout amounts. Four, the top tier players present. Five, mm. the swag tents. I'm guessing just. Etc. And six, the marketing for the above. Mm. So the marketing, yeah, just the marketing. Personally, I think the most crucial from that list is the field, because if you have everything in the fields not there, it's hard to generate hype. Um, which I would assume is that a similar thing for you, Brody? Is you think the fields? The yeah, most I, I, I think I was going to do field and marketing as one too. Yeah, that's where my head's at, because I think. Field's crucial. I think the course, the design and everything of the course is crucial, but the history of the course is the big thing. Because I think for people who've been in disc golf a long time, a major coming back to WR Jackson, there's a lot of history on that course. So when I see hole one, it like brings back nostalgic memories. There's been majors out there. The national tour finale used to always be there. Stuff like that. The same thing can be said about Winthrop. When USDGC is there, it feels nostalgic, but... A big part of that that I think's a big part of the nostalgia that I think's missing right now is the marketing because like the week of the masters, that's all you're seeing everywhere. Their their TikTok oh account is, you know, popping off with these ASMR type videos getting the course ready. Uh everything surrounding the course, surrounding the history of the event. And I think that that's what's missing right now that could make these like Champions Cup, for instance, because it's coming up, feel like the next level is like if we were showing the great moments that have happened at WR Jackson and we had like these highlight packages coming out and we had like, it doesn't have They're to be posting. TikTok, but stuff like that on the course of getting the course ready, you know, some really scenic B-roll stuff going on. I think the Pro Tour posted a few highlights from past sermons. We actually were talking about now that's this a, a little That's bit. an interesting one. Well, I guess because it's on the Disc Golf Network is why the Pro Tour is promoting it. Yeah, but um, I think... I think we were, we had this discussion, and I think it's an interesting one, of where the sooner we can get these courses to where the only thing, the sooner we can get these courses to where the layout doesn't change all that much. The only thing they might be doing is moving baskets back to make them harder or moving tee pads back to make them harder. If that was the only thing they were doing, right? If If we got to that point, I think that would be incredible because then you can actually like start looking at scores. And we kind of got into that, like the ratings debate a little bit. And I think one of the reasons why people don't use past scores as often is because the courses change so much. So it's hard to have, you know, Augusta again, like that course does change, but the majority of the changes are like adding trees, taking trees out, moving tee pads or, you know, tee boxes back. The majority of their changes over the years have made the course more difficult, mm -hmm. but they've never like made a par three, a par four or taken out four holes and added four new holes. And that's a, that's a very, you know, common thing 
when it comes to disc golf. And I think that matters. I think like us going worlds, right? Like we went and played the four in Mulligans. Was that the first time we've ever, I think the first time we've ever done that. Yeah, Wasn't Mulligans, fort, like, Mulligans pretty, has been played, but the but not for Worlds in the Fort. I don't think it ever been played. Had never been played, right? This year, what what are we doing at Worlds? We're playing a course that's literally just been created. Yeah, it's like Jones. It's Jones. So, it's on it's on a property that's been played before, but the layout's never been played before. Well, it's a complete yeah. They they laid new tee pads and stuff, and and so it's complete. It's I think that matters. I think having history matters and. You look at the one major that you guys always talk about, the one tournament that you guys always talk about, and it's USDGC. Now, obviously, there's been some changes and stuff, but they've been minimal. It hasn't been that much. And you can go back years and years and years and see shots that matter. So I think the sooner we can get these courses in like championship le- level layout, the better. Because then if someone goes out and shoots a 57 at WR Jackson, you as a viewer kind of has a kind of have an idea of like where that is on a scale you don't need the rating because again i don't like that but you can have that as a scale of like that's one off the course record the only person to shoot under 57 was blah 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 who shot a 56 in 2019 you know like yeah you can start having those storylines of only 20 people have ever shot under 60 at this course and this guy, and then you can have that. You can build that storyline into where it's like this guy's on pace. He's eight under through twelve. Like, I think all that stuff just adds to it. And like you were saying, just having a tradition, having having the the idea of like when you step onto hole one, you're like, wow, like that means something. This I've seen this shot a, a, bun, a bunch of times. This is the start of the major, yeah. you know, the champions club. Well, so what, I don't um, know. We'll see. It sucks that they're literally like. Moving it immediately, here and then it's gone. But if they can figure, if if it turns into like a rotation of a couple courses, yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah, if it's like five years, every five years they bounce around between these couple courses, I think that's fine. Yeah, but the courses need to be the same and and be bouncing from. We're going. I think the next one is at. I think it's a the Deglo course. I think it's the next course. But if we're Toboggan, going yeah. WR Jackson Toboggan. And then we're going somewhere. We'll just we'll just use the Thorn, the Texas States course. We'll just throw that in there. If it's like those three courses are your championship courses, then you can build that history still because you can be like, oh, the last time the Champions Cup was at the Thorn, this is what went it's down. Exciting. Yeah, yeah. And I'll put it this way too: when as a disc golf fan, I've been to several pro tours. I've been to several events now. The only event that I've ever stepped foot on the ground. And been like, holy crap, like I've I have so many memories of watching this and it just feels so different. Like, oh, this is where hole two was Winthrop. I remember I walked up to uh, we parked and we were walking up by hole seven. I'm like, oh my word, there's the there's the triple mando. And like, and then we immediately you make the walk to 17. I'm like, this walk, no wonder they talk about this walk so much. The walk, like, there were so many moments that had been just ingrained in my head of watching it that by the time I get there it was like I knew the entire course and I got to experience it for the first time and because of the history of the event it made the event feel so much more special to me then I see hole one and it's right next to hole two and hole 18 like put this whole perspective in my head of I'm like this course is nothing like I expected but when I walk onto some of these other courses I don't remember the holes at all because I've seen them in pro tour events here and there they're changing a lot you know 
as a fan, I was nowhere near as into disc golf as I am right now, as far as like knowing about course layouts. So, but the only reason I knew that much about Winthrop was they talk so much about the course because the course doesn't change that drastically. There's been some years where hole one, it was hole three, and we went into this weird field and all this stuff changed drastically at Winthrop. But the layout for the most part, hole five's hole five. When you say hole four at Winthrop, everyone pictures the same hole. That's the type of stuff that I think really helps majors stand apart and, and help set them apart is like the history of the courses that we keep coming back to. And I think that's something that the Champions Cup, this being the first year, they do have a really good chance to establish. But like Brody was saying, um, it, it's got to start with, if we do a rotation, it's got to be minimal courses and the same courses and we just keep going back to them. So you can recall those memories of when Paul won back in whatever it was on, on D-Glow, D-Glow's course, the toboggan, or so on and so forth. But Yeah, yeah the, two, the two most important things when it comes to creating tradition, creating uh, memories and stuff is the field, the people that are playing, and the course. Yeah. Like, if, we, if you can create holes that you remember and you think about, that that is... I mean, that, that's what it's all about. It's like, I can't wait to see what they do this year on whole blah, 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 whatever it is. Like there, everyone knows, everyone knows, uh, at the masters where, um, I believe it's whole 12 where Jordan speed lost his, you know, in, I think it was a five shot lead on the final day by hitting two in the drink. Like same thing with USDGC hole 17, you know, the stories of, players that have gotten there with leads and threw it away. So I think the more we can, the faster we can get these courses in shape to hold a championship and maybe in the mind of the people making the courses, if they're like, all right, if everyone starts throwing 500 plus feet, these holes are going to get a little easier. So like, what could like maybe have that in the back of your mind of where you, you could, if you needed to extend and like push the tee backs back an extra 25, 50 feet to make them a little bit more difficult. But I think that's key. I think it's key to, to try to get these courses as championship level ready as possible. And I would say too, what would be really interesting is like you just mentioned Texas States as holding the major, for example, mm -hmm. what would be sick to see there? Like that course was already pretty set up difficult. But there are a lot of things they could do to make it even more difficult. And so that would be sick to where the major comes in and you know that they're going to set up the course. They're going to add OB here. They're going to move this tee box back further. They're going to push this pin a little bit further back into the woods. And so now all of a sudden, like Texas State's, the winning score was, I don't even know what it was, 20. What was, oh, no, it was, it was like 30, close to 30. Yeah, 30 some. Yeah, 30. So they make all these changes, and now all of a sudden the winner is going to be 18 under or something, right? They, that's probably a bad example because you would have to make a lot of changes yeah. to make that course. Yeah, I, guess that more difficult. I get the gist, yeah. You, you get what I'm saying of where, like, that's, that's to me, I don't think you want to have a tour course that plays there all the time, and then a major comes, and they're literally just playing the same course. Yeah. I think you want to, for majors, spruce it up, make it more difficult. Yeah, but but still have it be the same essence of the course. So you get the whole one, and you still know 
it feels like hole one, but now the OB is you know twenty percent tighter or something. A little so, tighter, yeah, because yeah. we don't have because we don't have grass, so like grass doesn't really matter. So that's that's how they do it in golf. They they let the grass grow out more in the rough for majors. So if you do get off the fairway, you're really screwed. We don't have that, so I I think you pinch in or or you potentially keep the OBs where they are and then pinch in with hazards. Yeah. You know, so like you're a little off the fairway, you're in a hazard, you throw from there and you take your stroke or something. Um, Cause it's, it is difficult for open courses to like have that kind of penalty for spraying your shot, you know, off the fairway. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Great question. Great topic. What else we got Silas? Oh, what else we got? All right. We got one from, I didn't catch their name. Sorry. But they they uh they said um debate are longer courses better for spectators and and players or are shorter courses better for spectators and players thoughts um I, I think longer courses are are better in general for uh the tour just because when you like length is something that can just add to difficulty and scoring separation without you know you needing much it's hard it's a lot harder to make a short course hard than it is to make a long course hard spectating i mean i i I, shorter courses are less walking yeah yeah yeah. but like longer courses you get to you get to watch longer throws so i mean if you're if you're you're coming out to if you're going out to spectate a disc golf event uh, i mean I don't know. What What do you think, Brody? What's your thoughts? Shorter, longer courses, pros, cons. I mean, I guess I guess it's all relative, right? On like what is short and what is long. I mean, if we're talking about playing a course where the par threes are all three hundred feet and the par and there's no par fours, and yeah. it's just all par threes. I just don't think that's a pro level course anymore. I think I think we have to have par fives. We have to have par fours. We have to have holes that are requiring people to throw multiple shots to get their birdie yeah and and not courses where if you have 18 good tee shots you can shoot 16 15 14 under to me that's just not as fun not as exciting i think i think adding length also puts players like if i'm playing a 350 foot shot uh par three hole and i'm off the fairway by you know let's say i hit a tree 100 feet away i'm only 250 feet away I should be able to somehow manage to get up to the green, hopefully, and get up and down for par. If I hit a tree early on a par four, or let's even say a par five, that's a thousand feet. Now that that changes things. Like, am I now pitching out and then trying to bomb the next shot? Am I going to try to get hit this tight gap that's going to get me an extra hundred feet? Am I going to try to throw down a crazy roller that might get me three hundred feet? There's a lot more options when you start adding length to holes and you don't end up just having a situation of where pretty much everyone's throwing the same type of shot, playing the hole the same type of way. Yeah. So, and I think too, you're going to see the best player win, or at least like when you have to add shots, like the more it's the same situation with worlds, I think seven rounds was ridiculous, but when you did do seven rounds, the best play, you never walked away with like, oh, wow, that guy stole that, that tournament. Yeah. You know, 
Um, so I, I think adding more shots, it's going to give you more score separation as well in the field. And uh, yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah. But I'm not. I, I, but when I say long, I'm not saying like a, every par three needs to be 500 feet plus. Every par four needs to be like 800 feet plus. I'm saying long in the sense of where it's like we're not playing a course where it's 18 holes, all par three, yeah. and they're short. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. So I almost so, think no. I almost think no par three under 300 feet should be on the course. Mm, there you go. So I think we're all in, we're all in team long, yeah. team long course. Yeah. I, I like the long courses because you like just watching, let's say like watching Brody throw a 550 foot shot. I'm like, Whoa, like I can't yeah, do that. Way, that's way more entertaining. But like, wow, he can do that. That's so cool. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big part of spectating in all sports Thanks, Silas. is, is watching people do stuff. You're like, I can't do that. Like no matter, no matter how much I wish I can't dunk a basketball. So if I go to an NBA game and I watch people dunk over people, that's immediately entertaining. Yeah. Same thing with watching a pro throw a 550 foot shot. I'm like, I can sit in the field all I want. I'm not throwing that far. Watching a disc fly over my head when I'm 450 feet down the fairway, that's more entertaining. Yeah, that's right. a good point. This might be a hot take, but that's why I think you see a lot of times athletes don't really watch the sport they play. Because mm. they, they watch a lot. Not- they're not entertained but by a lot, it. But a lot of times they watch. They, if they are watching the sport, the, the sport they play, it's it's not for entertainment purposes. That's say, I wonder. It, a lot of that's probably it, just because a lot of sports you're watching so much film that like you're just sick of it. And why would you want to watch more? There's some athletes though that like the. I feel like is it Tom Brady or there are some athletes that that have talked about like they're just so obsessed with the sport they play that they watch everything like they'll they'll be able to tell you more about other teams offensive line and defensive line than like the coaches but, wa- but to me i feel like they're watching that to like learn stuff yeah but it's like they've done or, it for so long that like that is fun to them now and i think and i think too i think there obviously will be a certain point in time where where like they they get old enough to where it becomes enjoyable to watch yeah but but the the people that I've been around and stuff, like I don't really see them like being like, oh, let's watch the basketball game tonight, or yeah. oh, let's watch the golf tournament tonight, or yeah. well, especially individual sports. I feel like you you're yeah. in it so much that like you probably don't want to watch what's going on that weekend very much, unless you're studying the course for the next tournament or something. But that's not just sitting yeah. down when you, with a you know back. I never have fun. I. <laughs> I never, now I'm starting to enjoy it a little bit because I, I feel like I've been, I've been away from it long enough to where when I went back and watched the Florida team play ultimate, it was enjoyable. But when I was playing ultimate, it was, it was not enjoyable to watch yeah. ultimate at all. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. I, I would watch film, but there was never a time where I was like, Hey, there's a game tonight. That's you want to go to the game and watch, go watch the game. So I, I think that's consistent with what you're saying. Like people want to watch stuff that they can't do. And um, yeah, I think courses that are longer, you're going to see players do crazier stuff than courses that are, you know, are like little pitch and putt courses. Yeah. Nice. 
What else we got, Silas? All yeah. right, cool. Man, just keep churning through them. Uh, all right, all right. Uh, we got one from Derek here. He said, I've got a take for a debate. I think the future of the... Wait, wait, wait. Let me start over. I think the future of... Hold on, I got cut off. The tour... I think the future of the tour should require standard colors for discs. He says he hates having to track blue discs in the sky. What do you think? <laughs> I hate it because I love blue discs. Oh, me too. I love blue discs. So, no. I mean, is there any sport? I guess football, they have like standards for stuff you can wear, like cleats and stuff, but that's more uniform regulations. No, there's there's never going to be there's never going to be a rule. Yeah, that like that doesn't Is there is there a rule that like on 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 no. the PGA Tour could someone hit a neon no. yellow ball? Yes. Why do they choose not People to? have. Oh, they do. People have Bubba, Bubba Watson. Heck yeah. Bubba. He also, I knew I liked Bubba. He also I think he also used the pink ball too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't I I don't understand. I mean, I guess the reason, there's no point. The reason why the reason why they don't though, Hunter, probably is because the majority of golf balls are white. So my guess is like if you're used to hitting white golf balls for hours and hours and hours, it might be it might throw some people off to like all of a sudden start hitting a pink golf ball. I don't know. If all that's my range, all all my range accurate. balls I hit are yellow, so I think that's why I flocked the yellow golf ball. I also think too, just throwing it out there. I also think too the majority of golfers could care less. Yeah. About the color of the golf ball, and. Uh, do I, can I say that about disc golf? I don't know if I can say that about disc golf. I can say it for myself and definitely say it for myself that if someone right now was like, Hey, we have every single disc that flies exactly the same way as every disc in your bag, but they're all white. Are you switching? And they're like, no, but if they're like, you have to switch, I'd be like, all right, that's fine. Yeah. There's, there's only a few colors I, I avoid. If I find I a disc that feels good and flies good and it's bright enough, I will put it in my bag regardless of the color. But if it's like those like kind of like dirty brown, dirty green looking discs where if I throw it in well, the woods, I might never see that disc that's, again. That's not going that's in different. there. Yeah, that's Connor, like, Connor loves like, those. Connor's all about those discs. White, though, is a color that no matter where you're playing, unless you're playing in the snow, it, it's good. You're going to be able to see it. Yeah. 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 White's a good one. I. I tend to stick with like bright blue, bright pink, bright green, bright yellow, somewhere in there. I have a few white discs in my bag as well. If there's a cool enough looking disc, I'll throw like a black or a dark navy or something in my bag. Like my Captain's Raptors, like color shift, navy and black. But mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think AMs care a lot more about the look of their disc when it comes to like swirls and stuff like that. I think because a lot of pros have seen so much that you become numb to it. Um, I fortunately haven't become fully numb to it. Uh, a really nice swirl will still no, get me excited, that, but that's I, why I said, I couldn't say all pros. Cause there, I think there are still a lot there's of pros some. out there that have color coordinated. I think more than you think, but like for me, like I'm the type of like pull out the drawer, whatever shorts are on top. Those are the shorts I'm wearing for the day. Same thing. Like I need a captain's wrap. I took a captain's raptor out of my bag. And I was like, actually, I could use that for some sh utility shots. I have five Captain Raptors with me right now. I literally opened the bin that they're in, and the first one there was orange. So that one, I think there's a black one, a blue one, a white one. I just took whichever one was in the front. Yeah. So I think there, I think there's some people one way and some people the other. I, I understand what – I bet the, the camera guy would love it. 
if blue discs were illegal? I don't know, though, because it's only on open courses. Because in the woods, blue discs are great to track. Yeah, yeah so but easy. on open courses, on open courses. On open courses, though, little, white I, discs are really tough, too. Because, like, when it gets up in the sky and the sky's bright, I mean, it's hard to track wonder, anything up there. Well, golf does it, and the ball is moving way faster than Frisbee. So, yeah, figure that out. I've never I been able to figure better. that out, actually, because I think, I think they're better. incredible. I think, better cam- I think it's just better camera. Yeah, I mean, they're incredible. When I've tried, I've tried tracking like objects when we've done foundation, like nation videos and stuff, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know how I'm filming that. There's no way. But golf, I mean, they track it all the way till it hits the green. Well, they also have like ten thousand dollar tripods. Yeah, but still, they're zoomed in on a ball like. Oh, this no, small in the sky, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're just tracking it perfectly, yeah. and then zooming out as it hits the no, ground. It, it takes a lot of skill. Yeah, but, yeah. Like, that's your job. Well, do. yeah, I get that. I get that. It's not my job, and it, right. it, I, it couldn't be my job. I couldn't do that. <laughs> All right, let's see. We got a debate. Golfers can use any. Golfers can use any color they want. Okay. Oh, nice. So stick to the neon. It fits you. It does fit me. I'll nice. I'll stick to the neon until I break a hundred. Then I'll go When's white. That? Gee, I mean, I wish I knew. I wish I wish I could say months ago. When, that would have been did nice. Did you go play last? Uh, it's been like a month and a half. It's been so nice outside. It has been. I just I've been running a lot recently, Silas. Brody, you would love the weather here right now. Yeah, it was eighty-two today, Brody. I'm, I was sweating buckets on my run. Sweet, literally everywhere in the south is nice. Awesome, guys. Hey man, uh, glad, glad glad it took you until mid-April to have weather that you can actually play. In. Hey, we've been we've been playing shorts and a t-shirt up here for months. months. Pretty much as soon as you left, months. as soon as you left, it Not got warm. Months. the The day after you left, it was sixty-five and sunny. It hasn't looked back. The bad weather has kind of fall, followed me a little bit. I did. There was one day you posted um, you posted something. Y'all were playing in in sweatshirts, and you're saying how it was cold. I forget where you were at. It was cold here this week when we filmed our. Uh, Maybe it was that. When filmed, yeah, when we filmed our practice, or or no, when we filmed our doubles battle. Yeah, whatever day, whatever day you posted it, um, it was like sixty-five and sunny up here, and I got a good chuckle out of it. I was like, man, the cold weather's following Brody, and here I am in Virginia in shorts and a t-shirt. Dude, it, it's it's followed me around. Pretty soon, it's it it, it cannot happen. Anymore. No, well, I mean, you got like. Three more weeks. You got three yeah. more weeks, and then it'll be warm in the entire country, pretty much. Yeah, and I'll be sweating my pits out. Yeah, there you go. All right, we got a topic from Jins. They say a silver series or elite series win should guarantee you a spot in the DGPT championship. I think a a pro I tour think, win basically I think does does. Basically, here, here, here's here's something. Wait, here's something that's kind of interesting. Have you looked at, have you looked at the score breakdown at all from between? Because we we did this the other day of like we were just curious of like Disc Golf Pro Tour versus uh, FedEx Cup points. No, I haven't looked at that. No, because FedEx Cup points and Disc Golf Pro Tour are essentially the same kind of situation of where you're you're getting points throughout the season. And we just looked at like normal events and uh, it, the, the difference between like the top people is drastically smaller than the difference between the top people 
on in golf and the FedEx, mm-hmm. but the bottom the bottom is very similar. But interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's something interesting, but like the difference between like so first place gets like a hundred points for Disc Golf Pro Tour, right? And then like last points available, I think is two, which is a difference of like ninety eight. But on uh, the FedEx, like first place gets five hundred, and like last place gets like six or seven or something really small. So like mm-hmm. the, the, gap the gap is massive. massive. So, so I think the way that they have it set up, you would think like, Oh yeah, if you win, you're, you're definitely getting in. You're not though. because it's not that big of a gap. So you could theoretically win an elite series event. Actually, I think you could theoretically win two elite series events. And if you play bad the rest of the year, you won't get in. I don't think. Are you looking up points I'm, I'm from looking, last year? Uh, no, I'm looking up. Um, there's some type of. Yeah, so here it is. So the there's two final spots in each division that are determined by a play-in event held Wednesday prior to the start of the event. The 31st and 32nd seeds on the MPO side and the 15th and 16th seed on FPO automatically gain entry into the play-in event and will be joined by four additional players. So these four play-in spots are reserved for any players who won a Pro Tour Elite or PDGA major, but didn't qualify. If there's still spots available, the invitations pass the next player in point standings. So so there's a dark horse play-in situation? There's a play-in for the last two players, the 31st, 32nd player, and then uh, and four additional players in each division. So six players are entered into a play-in on Wednesday. So essentially, statistically, there could be five winners that somehow didn't qualify, but if there's four winners that didn't automatically qualify, they automatically qualified to get into uh, the play-in event. So the way it's set up, it's it's basically impossible to win and not get to at least the play-in event for yeah. the Pro Tour. So, so you could theoretically last year win. You could win two Elite Series events last year and not qualify. Yeah. But if you, did, if you didn't get if you any played points, nothing else. So if you showed up or to you, two, or you didn't get any points the rest of the season. Yeah, very statistically improbable. But very statistically improbable. But, but that now, just shows you this like, year they did change it. So like those people, if that happened, again, unless yeah. there's more than four individual winners it'd that didn't more, do it. That didn't it'd be qualify. more for it'd be more for silver series, because you look at someone like Albert, yeah, who just won and he's 29. But silver series I don't think should automatically qualify you. Because like, I don't think so either. Winning the Tallahassee so Open, like it was a big win for Albert, and he did a great job. He beat several great quality players, but that's nothing compared to the Pro Tour to winning on the. No, I I, I agree with you. I don't I don't think Silver Series should give you should give you anything. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I mean, I think they're they're important events and big wins, but just not the same. Yeah, you shouldn't have automatic. Now the Champions Cup. What do you think about this idea? I think it would have been cool, and this is this kind of goes to the marketing side of things. I think it would have been cool if they to qualify into the Champions Cup. They just go straight off a of world ranking, and because we don't really have an event like that, and it's literally the top 100 players in the world. Well, next and, next year there's going to be more qualification. Process. No, I'm just saying that's that's the qualification process. You I, have to be top 100 in the world. They, do they announce the qualification process yet? Well, I think there's winners. I think yeah, I think like if you win, I, I think that's what it was this year too. Like 
certain people got invited for winning certain what, events. What ranking system would they use for that? They'd, I don't know. They'd but, use their own. But think about how sick that would be as a marketing thing to where you can say, like, this tournament is – the field at this tournament is the top 100 players in the world in disc golf. Yeah. One of them will be taking home the Champions Cup. Like, that's – I feel like that's a cool thing that nothing else has. USDGC doesn't have that. Worlds doesn't have that. European Open doesn't have that. So, like, they could make that their own of, like, hey, we're just taking the top 100 people in the world. Yeah. So, what they're doing is they're they're going – two invites from this year's events at like Vegas, Waco, Texas States, Jonesboro, DDO, so on and so forth are qualifying for next year. So your performance at these events is qualifying you for next year. And then the top five finishers from both MPO and FPO, as well as the top two finishers from Am Worlds, top two finishers from collegiate nationals and the top two and the top finisher, the winner of the United States amateur disc golf championship are also getting invited. So I think it's pretty cool the way it is, um, but it also would be cool the way you said it. I just like, I like having to qualify for majors. Cause like. You are having to qualify. You have to be in the top 100. What the no, heck? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I'm saying. I like, I like some type of qualification, like your ah, system yes, or what yes. they're doing. Worlds right yeah. now, it's basically like if you're 970 or in above rated, it might've changed somewhat this year. But like if you're 970 and above rated, a lot of times you can get into Worlds. Yeah, I just went and registered. Yeah, as I'm saying, so. like it, it's it's pretty straightforward. Whereas USDGC, it's like way. I can't get into USDGC no matter what I do. I'd have to go to Monday qualifying or be playing regularly and like pop off at a tournament to to get there. Yeah, getting getting the like the official USDGC paper that says you qualify, getting yeah. an email saying that you qualify, like. That felt that was like one of the cooler things in disc golf I've experienced so far. Yeah, I think that's where I think that type of stuff is why USDGC, by players and by people who've been in the sport for a long time, feels like such a big event. And that's why yeah, like new players into the sport, it just doesn't feel like it yet because they're they're looking at like the course design and stuff like that. But like this this little stuff like that that USDGC does sets it apart, and that's the type of stuff that. But new new players. At. New players will feel it when they don't qualify. Yes, yes, and then yes, yes. Next year, like you'll feel it when it's like, oh man, or or you'll feel it when you haven't qualified yet, and there's only a couple of qualifying events left. Yeah, and, like and, and then and, and then you finally qualify, you're like, oh man. And if you're a fan of a player and they haven't qualified yet, and you're sitting at home, and you know that's some another storyline to root for. Like, yeah, yeah, you might be rooting for Joe Joe Schmo. But if he, you know, if he comes in fifteenth at the last qualifier event, he gets a spot at USCGC. That's another thing to root for. But. Yeah, because I just woke up. I woke up at like six o'clock this morning and just went on disc golf scene and plugged in my information. I'm, I'm, I'm in Worlds. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Nice. We got one from Sue, and she says, "Do players still think disc golf pro tour takeover of national tours?" from the PDGA is a good thing after Music City's drop in the purse from $76,000 to $32,000. Almost a 60% Well, okay, but we're looking at the national tour finale to just a normal pro tour event. Like, I mean, we can't cherry pick events. I'd, I'd like to see, I'd be curious what DDO and some of these other ones they've taken on, what the, the purses looked like there. Because... You, if you're looking at the national tour finale, you got to look at the pro tour finale and 70,000 to 250,000. I mean, that's not even close. 
but I'm not there a player. I don't know if, if Brody or anyone else felt it. Also, I didn't play the event previously, so it's hard to say. Music was Music City a full on pro tour this year? Silver Series. Yeah, so it also dropped from the national tour finale down to a Silver Series. I think I think majority of national tour events dropped to the Silver Series. Yeah, so like the, the purse is going to be lower. You'd have to just look at again the only event you could compare a national tour finale to is the pro tour finale, and the purse is going to be bigger than seventy seven thousand. All right, there you go, Sue. All right, next up, we got um, one from Blake. And he says, do you think brands like Nike will ever get into the disc golf world? And would that be a positive or negative to the sport of disc golf? Ever? Yeah. I mean, at some point. I mean, what capacity a Nike would get in? I mean, they might just rebrand a shirt as like a, a disc golf polo or something. I don't know. Or it'd be more like they didn't get into the disc golf world as like they marketed with the pro tour and they didn't change anything else because what are they going to do? They're going to they're make, they don't even make golf clubs anymore. So they're not going to make discs, but I could see them marketing with the pro tour. I don't think they're the next company in. Um, I think we're going to see some like bigger named companies that aren't massive start you know sticking their nose into the game a little bit you know maybe like some some north face patagonia um i don't know some i I saw franklin sports just got some pdga discs approved uh they obviously have had their starter pack for a long time why they got these pdga approved i don't know but it means they've at least got some type of pulse on the game franklin's not a nike but they're a big company all in all uh so a company like that, I think that's kind of the next level. But good or bad for the game, I mean, good. I don't, I don't really, I don't see where it'd be bad. I don't know what what could be bad from it, personally. What about you, Brody? Yeah, no, I think, I think anything is possible. I would say that my conversations with a multiple, a multi, a multitude, multitude, my conversations with a multitude of different companies. I've not been, I've not been unfortunately positive. So there's a lot of companies that just are like, yeah, nah, yeah. I mean, we got a long so, way like, to go to get on the so radar of a Nike. Needs to get bigger. Is that what you're saying? The sport. There, there needs to be more eyeballs well, on. Well, it. it's the same thing of like, you they have a marketing budget, right? Yeah. In order, right, I'm gonna try to smoke this. Okay, in order to be willing to commit a certain amount of that marketing budget to disc golf. There's gotta be a reason that a thousand dollars spent in disc golf goes farther than them spending that same thousand dollars somewhere else. Yeah. Like there's, there's gotta be some type of reason for it. And that's why I think down the road, if disc golf continues getting bigger and it doesn't stall and just always stay just a super fringe sport, it's obviously never going to be a major, major sport, but if disc golf continues on a positive trajectory and, the purses get bigger and it gets more and more eyeballs and stuff like that. Eventually, yeah, companies like Adidas, Nike, it's gonna make more sense. They can get good ROI in uh, doing marketing with disc golf. Um, but that's where I think smaller companies are the next ones in, uh, where they're not disc golf companies, but they have products that disc golfers can use, um, and it's gonna be a much bigger deal to them because disc golf is unique yeah. in a lot of sports. We can hear you. Can you hear yeah. us? Is that 
Is that a better mic too? Yes. Oh, there we much go. better. Hey. There we go. Awesome. Uh but yeah, I think I think yeah, fringe right. more fringe do you, sports companies. Do you think companies that if if Nike ever got into the sport that it would kind of collapse the sport and like not not collapse the sport but kind of monopolize monopolize what? Monopolize its company and so everyone would just like buy their stuff and like a bunch of disc golf companies would go under. Is that is that what Innova did for a while? I mean, it depends on what what they did. Look, like, if Nike yeah. came in and made discs, a they'd have to make discs better than yeah. everyone in the company's making them. You can look at Adidas, Terex came into the sport, mm-hmm. right? And they had shoes, and everyone in disc golf was wearing Adidas shoes. I'm sure that that hurt Keen and Solomon and people who were doing a little bit in disc golf at the time, but it wasn't a massive thing. Yeah. I'm sure that hurt them. But what it does is it creates competition because now if Keen and Solonen want to stay relevant in disc golf, if that's a market that they felt was important, they have to start spending more money in disc golf to, to get these customers back or to change the perception or to win new customers or whatever it is. So, right. no, I mean, companies like that getting in, yeah, it might push out you know some of the mom and pop retailers or, or manufacturers in, in disc golf like, People who are uh, Nike again. I, all Nike, I think, would ever do is market their clothing. So the biggest thing would be disc golf specific clothing companies might hurt by a Nike coming in. But you got to look at the bigger picture because if Nike comes in, Adidas might, is the next to follow. Adidas comes yeah. in now. Puma's looking, and where yeah, you you might not be able to get your favorite disc golf apparel from whatever local company. They might have. They might go out of business and. For that company as a small business, that would suck 100%. Like, there's no way around that. But if you're looking at just the sport as a whole and you're not looking at just friends, you're looking at the sport as a whole, it's a good thing for the sport because now you have Nike offering players, you know, and events money and what their marketing budgets and stuff look like are way different than disc golf companies. I mean, we've seen it some in even like just brand deals and stuff like that. Like, talking to outside disc golf companies of what X, Y, or Z is valued at when they're advertising on our YouTube or whatever it is, is drastically different than talking to disc golf companies about what X, Y, or Z is valued at. Right. And it's just because they're two different worlds, the outside also, world and disc golf world. Also, there's a difference too, I think, between like targeted targeted marketing and just like eyeballs. Like there are some companies that view like the disc golf audience as okay this is this is a demographic that we want to target our marketing towards and then there's some companies that are just like we just want eyeballs Mm -hmm. on our product so uh someone like rolex for example that would probably be a terrible company to target towards disc golf right but a company like mcdonald's like they're they don't really have like they're not, I don't, there's not a target demographic that McDonald's is trying to hit. They just want eyeballs on their commercials. So that's where I think we're going to see more. That, that's where I think the views need to get higher and higher because right now the companies that are interested in the de- demographics that disc golf has are not massive companies to where uh, we're going to see big sponsorship dollars coming in. So that's where I think we do need those uh those viewership 
eyes and um, i don't want to get into the whole post-produce situation but yeah did you see though do you see because this is kind of interesting i'll just put this out there into the atmosphere did you see that it, uh the view difference between a disc golf pro to tour pros post-produced video at a silver series so not not as big as elite series but as Sil silver series versus the other post-produced companies did you have you seen the difference no in I, haven't looked, I haven't looked at it no it's getting close interesting mm. and a lot of a lot of people say that their product is way worse but that's kind of crazy that their viewership is getting close for mm. a way worse product something real, to think about yeah real quick we got a 50 dollars super chat from SB productions wow they say Love the show, guys. Appreciate all you do. And Brody, the new double ch challenge is a great idea. So, thank awesome. You. Appreciate it. Appreciate. Oh, it. the new double challenge. Okay, nice. Sweet. Uh, one final thing on this too is Bushnell, outside the sport company, rebranded. You know, specific products for disc golf. They came in. Uh, obviously. Now they're in. They've seen value. They're investing in the disc golf. The Champions Cups presented by Bushnell this week. That type of stuff, like, it, that's, the, that's the kind of the next company's in, right? Or, like, that type of a company where they have products super targeted. Like Brody was saying, Bushnell yep. is a big company, not a Nike, not massive. But now Bushnell's competitors, I don't, I'm not into the rangefinder world, but they, there's obviously other rangefinder companies. Bushnell competitors there's only a matter of time before they're looking at it and they're like, why are they investing time there? And now you might start seeing a bidding war when it comes to who's going to be the bush, the uh, range finder of disc golf. Bushnell has a corner on that market. If someone gets hungry enough and wants a, a slice of that pie, they're going to come in and then it's going to be back and forth of who's willing to pay more to sponsor X, Y, or Z player to sponsor X, Y, or Z tournament and stuff like that. Where again, when these companies have outside of disc golf revenue, the numbers that they're willing to put into marketing and stuff are a lot different. Their total marketing budget. And when they're being able to target demographics versus the eyeball marketing, target demographic marketing costs a lot more. Obviously, that's from a, a different, like Brody was saying, Nike, why I think it's going to be so hard for Nike to get into disc golf is, again, I don't see Nike... Can, like using and same with Adidas, using resources to create disc golf specific products. So all Nike and them are looking at is more so just strictly viewership numbers. Like where can I get the most eyeballs for the least amount of money? It's going to be hard for that to answer to be disc golf when there's other options on the table that can get you millions and millions of eyeballs. It's going to be hard for that answer to be disc golf. Will it also, someday they're, possibly? They're, big they're also big enough too to where it's like. I mean, what shirt am I wearing? Peloton. Well, I guess they make. Um, that was not a good example. But <laughs> disc golf is not a, uh, you know, it's not it's not a sport that requires a, a specific type of apparel to play. Yeah. I can play disc golf in Nike under. I mean, there's so many different things I can play disc golf in. So it's gonna be very difficult for a disc golf specific company that is apparel to be like attractive because it's like, why would I spend $70 on that when I can just go and buy a Nike dry fit for 20? Yeah. Well, that's what happened with, um, dude clothing back in the day. Uh, I don't think they exist anymore, 
they came out with, and they had Eagle Simon. They had all these guys sponsored up. Tough. And, tough. and they had like they had really cool stuff. Everyone that I was around in disc golf wanted their stuff. They had like rain jackets that had pockets that you could put discs in to keep That's your like, putters cool. dry. That's they had cool. um their shorts had like a built-in towel that like was one of the pockets, so it didn't look like you That's, had a towel, but you could pull it out. Not, that's not that cool. Hey, it was it was innovative, right? And it's it was all cool. disc golf focused. Issue, it was so expensive because they had to do such small quantities to make it for disc golf that like I could buy that rain jacket or I could spend half as much that in the only difference is it doesn't carry my putters. But I still have a rain jacket. And at the end of the day, like if you were wearing dude clothing, it was a big flex. Like it was sick. And the people who were in it, they knew what they were doing. They were really good, like clothing designers and stuff. Uh, I think that's what like their background was. Um, they're an Australian company, but I would never, I owned one piece of dude clothing apparel. It's a hat. Uh, I still own it. I might've had a polo from the world tour when that was a thing. Um, and they were really nice. They're really good quality, but it was like you were saying when, when rubber met the road, I could get name brand stuff that I could wear all over the place for cheaper. And it was like, yeah. why would I buy the disc golf specific thing when I can get a, something that I know is good quality, it's trusted by everyone around the world and it's cheaper. And it, that's, that's the tough line, but that's where I think companies like well, bigger companies will eventually get in just marketing wise. Cause they're like, we already got everything. As soon as the eyeballs make sense, it's like, Oh shoot, we can just throw our dry fit commercial or whatever. Adidas is climate cool, whatever. Just throw our commercial we already got into the disc golf audience and get the eyeballs, but the eyeballs have to be there first. Yeah, I mean, and and, and what they would probably do is they would probably just uh, change, you know, make a commercial specific for disc golf. Yeah, they wouldn't make different products no. because again, like you don't need to. Like the training, training clothing is like the most. I mean, I would I would be fine playing in disc golf in this. Yeah. So. All right, there you go. Uh, let's see here. Let's take uh, let's take one more, and then Papa Brody's got to get some food. Boom. And go to one more. Right. Perfect timing. Let's pick a good one, Silas. Come on. I know, I know. I was gonna, I was gonna pick one, and I was like, Ooh, oh. wasn't good enough. No. Dang. Well, you said it was the last one. It is. Step oh. your comment game up, people. Silas isn't happy right now. You can't see him, but he's he is pissed back there. He's ticked off. I've I'm never just... seen him scroll faster in my life. <laughs> There's smoke coming off his scroll wheel right now. Uh, There's a lot of people talking about range finders and whether whether or not pros use them or not. And and there's a lot of people saying there's a lot of people on both sides of the story there. Brody, what's your what you're you're in the pro scene right now. Do pros use range finders? And if yes, how often do you know? If 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 you had to get um, out there a lot. So th this course is a little interesting. I, I like what they're trying to do, but it does look a little kind of it doesn't look that great because they, they have they have uh trees wrapped. So they have green trees, orange trees. And then pink trees. So it's like a little ribbon that they've wrapped around the tree. Green means you're 400 feet out. Orange, you're 300. Pink, you're 150. I like it in the sense that I can, you know, real quickly, especially in between 
300 and 150, I can real quickly gauge how far away I am, whether I'm on the fairway or off the fairway. I like that. I don't like that they're on the tree. It really looks like they're marked trees for like someone to come and cut them down. I think though, in the future, like if you could get like markings on the ground, I think that would be incredible because I think that would speed pace of play up. But I think range finders are hit or miss, man. I, I think some people use them and some people don't use them at all. And uh, I don't, I don't know. I think I definitely feel again with disc golf, it's different. It's definitely a much more feel type of throw because when you're seeing a shot, let's say your shot's 200 feet away, there isn't really like in golf, you can change the club. And also in golf, you can change your backswing. And that basically, so think about it this way, Silas. And Hunter, this might actually help you in your golf game. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> think, about your golf, think about your golf swing as a clock. So you're starting at six and a full swing is going to be at 12, right? So you're getting your hands all the way up above your head. When, when you work on your wedge distances, a lot of people will use that clock to get a gauge of how far certain shots go. So if I have my 50 degree, I know if I take that back to nine o'clock and swing, it's going to go a hundred yards. But if I take my, my club back to 10 o'clock and swing, it's going to go one Oh seven, right? Like you, you work those distances and you work that feel of how far back you need to take it to get that distance. You're not actually swinging harder you're just taking it back. This is the same kind of what we were talking about you with putting hunter yeah. of where you don't actually have the same backswing for a three foot putt as you do a 15 foot putt. And it's not like you just swing faster for the 15 foot, butt. to, to putt from for 15 feet, you need to take a bigger backswing and that allows you to generate the power. Disc golf isn't like that really in the sense of like between a 200 foot, shot and a 250 foot shot most players throw is going to look very similar they're just going to rotate slower so there are people that just like have that feel of where knowing if, if it's 200 feet or 250 that doesn't really matter too much because they're just kind of going off of how hard they have to throw Versus it's not like, oh, this is 250. I need to bring my arm back. You know, I don't even know what you would do. I need to bring my arm back to 75% open. And then if it's 280, now I need to bring it. Like, there isn't any of that going on, I don't think. So yeah. it's, it's definitely more of a feel type of situation for shots. Range finders, though, because a lot of times I'll use them to see, like, where the trouble is. So, like, I can be like, all right. Like W.R. Jackson, there's a lot of holes where you got to throw straight and then bank something right or throw straight and bank something left. So I like to know like how far I need to throw straight before it cuts. And that will kind of dictate what throw, what shot shape I do. But yeah. Do you think it's something that will eventually be a problem on the Pro Tour? Or not a problem, but like, do you think there it'll ever be banned or anything like that? I hear that a lot. I don't know. I wish more players play use range finders because I think it would speed up the pace of play. There you go. I, I mean, I've always said I think that range finders 
Like, if you know the course, then you won't need to use a rangefinder nearly as much. And so a lot of times I think rangefinders, like, there's probably more pros that use them than, pe- than pros use them in the tournament rounds that you see. Just because I feel like a lot of times, like, first time seeing the course, a basket might look like it's 250 away, but it's because of the way the hill is in front and it's actually 320 away. And you use a rangefinder, you're like, oh, this, is, this hole is a lot farther than I thought it was. And then in the tournament, you already know that. It's a similar, like, disc golf doesn't really have, like, caddy books where you can look and, and know where you're at as far as, like, all these notes on how far away these trees are, how far away this danger is, blah, 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 until stuff like that starts happening. I mean, I think rangefinders can be a big advantage when, pe- when people are using them right. I, I would love, this would actually be a very interesting video to get one of the top top disc golfers and top golfers and have them have a like distance off of where you say a number 42 yards so for disc golf that's a hundred and what is that a hundred and gosh brody 126 feet yeah right yeah and the golfer hits the shot and wherever it lands like when it first lands and you can have a trackman tell you exactly how far the golf ball lands disc golf you're probably going to have to have someone out there kind of figure out where it where it ends up but I would love to see how accurate golfers uh, – here's a question. Who do you think would be more accurate? In between, um, let's say, 40 yards, so 120 feet, and, and then it's also where it lands. That's all that matters, not where it ends up, where it lands. So in between 40 yards and 110 yards, so 330 feet and 120 feet. For disc golf, who would be more accurate, the golfer or the disc golfer? We're going top in the world on both. Yeah, like top ten, top ten guy on both sides. And you're you're telling them a distance they got to hit it. It's not like there's an object out there hitting to and they don't know the distance. Nope, you're like 107 yards. I think golfer. Golf- I think a golfer. Yeah, I don't even think it's close. Well, because I think a golfer is so used to that. I think if you if think if there's an obstacle out there and they don't know the distance, it's just go to that. I think a disc golfer has a better chance there. They might have a little more advantage. I'm still probably going golfer, but yeah, but yeah, if you're just literally no no target and you're like. Throw this 185 feet. Well, in disc golf, you just never really do that. Yeah, you're always just looking at the basket, and you're like, "I need to get it there." Like, if you told me throw 250 okay. feet, I would so, have no clue. Like, so, I, I wouldn't okay. be close. Okay, so so now so now I'm saying throw 185 feet, and the basket's there. So the golfer knows how far to hit, and the disc golfer can see the basket. You're are you taking the disc golfer there? Because I'm going, I think I'm disc going golfer, golfer has- because we're in like mainly a wedge range and that's like what they grind out because i was gonna say i think i think disc golfer has the advantage if the distance is not known yeah of where the basket is just sitting out there 250 feet but no one knows that's 250 feet the golfer doesn't know that it's was that 80 80 yards basically uh they don't know that the disc golfer probably has a little bit of an advantage in the sense of but I still don't think their advantage beats the golfer out. But yeah, yeah I just think I think in golf you just have you can it's so much easier to be, be more precise because again what I was talking about the swing mechanics of where they're just working on getting a bigger swing to generate the distance in disc golf you can't really like 
I mean, you don't really ever see someone throw like a hundred feet like this. Yeah, like, they they they're doing their swing through and everything the same. It's just, just slower. It's just slower. I think right? where the only way it would get very close is if it would you did it like relative. So you calculated a forty-two yard shot for a golfer, how far of a throw that was for a disc golfer. So it wasn't the same. What does it's, that mean? Because like a forty-two yard chip for a golfer is pro isn't a hundred some foot it might that one might be close but once you get to a 80 yard shot for a golfer which is like 250 that's a harder shot in disc golf to execute. that's still an upshot but now we're talking 250 which that's a a harder shot to execute in disc golf than an 80 yard chip is in golf relative to the whole sport because now you're at half as far as you can throw whereas you're not no, at half as far. wait whoa, whoa, whoa 250 whoa, whoa. feet 500 whoa, feet whoa, whoa. you're telling me right now that you think more golfers get up and down from 80 yards. Not up and down, because putting's so much harder. Within 30 you, feet of, a, of the hole, you, yeah. What do you think, here, we'll leave on this. What do you think the proximity to the hole is for golfers at uh, 80 yards? Well, my, to prove my point, it would be within 30 feet. Hmm. I mean, that, Let's see. That's the Let's that's see. the circle. Let's see. I'm just saying, relative distance wise, you how far can you throw a disc? Just throw a number out there. Five thousand feet. Okay, six hundred feet. We'll put Brody at six hundred feet. So, a hundred yards would be half as far. A hundred yards is like half as far as you can throw a disc. Period. But it's like a third what, as far Hunter? as a as a golfer can hit. You know what, Hunter? What? You're a pretty smart man, dude. You're a pretty smart man, dude. What can I say? Why? What is based on what I just said or what you're looking up? So I'm I'm a little confused as to what I'm looking up right now. Wait, does this change if I go here? Oh, it does. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Are there that many people in a golf tournament? No. This is what I'm confused at. Why? How are there 200? Hold on, I need to I need to ask another golfer in the house. One second, we got periods now. Okay. Uh, well, uh, what? Okay. My whole point was like <laughs> a golfer hitting a forty-two yard shot, like in disc golf. In disc golf, that's like for Brody. We'll just use Brody. That's one sixth of how far he can throw. Yeah. For a golfer, that's like one ninth, one tenth of how far they can hit. Hmm. So in disc golf, it would be like for Brody a forty-two yard shot. If you do one tenth. We'll just keep that so we can say someone can hit 420 yards. Then if you take that person and Brody, that's like a 42-yard shot for the golfer is the equivalent of a 60-foot shot for Brody. Yeah. Now, when you look at it that way, I'm taking the disc golfer. That because like sense. a 60-foot a shot is like we're just tossing a little putt. Right. But when you factor it out to putt. 120 feet, now you actually got to throw a shot. Yeah. And then when you factor that out to 80 yards, and now we're talking 240-some feet or an 80-yard hit, going with the 80-yard hit again. Oh, uh, here he is. Coming He's back. back. He's back. I'm so, I'm so confused. Be, he, he, let me explain why I'm confused. Okay. So, so I have this data, which is, I mean, I can't wait for the Disc Golf Pro Tour to have data like this. I know UDIS has some stats, but, I mean, we're looking at approach shots from 75 to 100 yards, and they literally have everyone's average for each tournament mm. which is sick so the person that was closest 
was Ryan Moore, nine feet, three inches. Yeah. Now again, I wish this was like, I wish this was like every tournament. There's just like one I tournament. Would, yeah. It's just like one tournament, which I wish it was like season long. But, well, the tour average hasn't, oh, the tour average does change. Well, the tour average doesn't change that much from tournament to tournament. So the tour average from that distance is about 17 to 18 feet. Yeah. So I see you're right in the sense that it had to all be relative because 17 to 18 feet, you need to then take that to disc golf terms. That's like a much, much farther putt. Yeah, that's a really good shot in disc golf. Yeah, but in golf, 17 foot putt isn't a guaranteed make. So like it's not now now you're I don't know, it all had to be relative and then it'd get much closer. Yeah, no, it's tough to say. It's tough to say, but it is an interesting thing because I, I, I bet there are some pro disc golfers out there that think they would be better than a golfer at distance control. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. That, again, it, it all depends on the scenario you're putting them in. I think if it's all field based, the golf, the disc golfer has an advantage of it. Just like you're looking at where you go and you have to throw. And I think and you have no idea. You have no idea the distance. no idea the distance. I think that there, if you get just one shot of that distance, then it's moving. I think the disc golfer has an advantage, but the second you're telling a golfer how far to hit, then it's over. This is to me, I don't know. People listening might not be fascinating, but to me, this is fascinating because even in golf, like there are people that handle all situations differently. Yeah. So like there are some people that don't want to know what the number is inside of like 50 yards. Mm. They don't care. Well, yeah, but then there are. But then there are some people that want to know if they're 42 yards away or if they're 48 yards away. Yeah. So, so it is it is interesting to see how people play differently. Um, but yeah, dang. Okay, that might have to be a video because I I honestly I have my predictions of what I think would happen, but that I don't know. Let let us know if you're listening. Let us know in the comments on the YouTube. If you're watching live right now, let us know in the comment section who would win in that. Because that's, I don't know. It'd be, be it'd be fascinating. It'd be a fun video. That's for sure. It'd be a good video. So there you have it. That's this week's debate night. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, Brody, good luck at the first major of the year. Don't forget about our companion stream. on. It's going to be on Foundation Disc Golf's main YouTube channel. If you're not subscribed over there, we'd really appreciate it if you subscribe. We're on the road to 100,000 subscribers. We're 72% of the way there um so hopefully we can get there by the end of the year that's the goal but we'll see what happens uh so if you're not subscribed over there we really appreciate that and that's where that live stream is going to be going down on sunday companion stream uh if you don't have someone to watch the you know champions cup finale with we're your guys we're going to be there and it's basically gonna be like you're hanging out with us uh we'll have pizza you won't be able to eat it the pizza shop's opening tomorrow brody by the way right right next door pretty excited about that we're definitely going to swing by there um, and the grand opening of the shop, our retail shop, is happening very soon. Announcement will be going up possibly later this week, maybe early next week with some more details on what's going to be going on that whole weekend. Um, I can say a teaser, right? I can give a little teaser? Give a teaser. When, do, do we have the date of when it's when It's not opening? public yet, but... You want don't it to give be. That. No, 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 no. We don't have to give that away. Okay, but no. Yeah. We can give a we give a rough range so people can kind of somewhat yeah, have yeah, an yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah. You you give a rough range because I don't want to mess it up. First few weeks of May. Okay. Slight teaser. We are in the works of a disc 
that I have never, uh, I've never released yet. Mm. Yeah, I don't think I have. Right? Not that I know of. Not that I've seen. Yeah, I've never, I've never released this this mold before. So that will be available in person only. In, in person only. Uh, I will be there as well. I'll be flying in for it, and uh, it's yeah. Should be a good I, time. Seen it. All I know is I've heard heard about it, and it it looks it sounds like it's gonna be disgusting. Yeah, very excited. All in all, and then obviously yeah. we'll have a in person store that you can come by if you're ever in the area to check out the courses. But uh, more information will be posted on that soon. And um, yeah, be sure to head over to FoundationDiscs.com. Check out some discs over there. Uh, in the meantime, but we will talk to you all again next there, week when we wrap up the uh, the major. There's also an 18.7% chance that someone in this household will be on coverage Sunday. 18.7%. That's some statistics. Don't fact check them, but they're real. We'll talk to you next week. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. 